podcast from the Sunday night service at New Life Church. The Sunday night service reflects a desire to be rooted in the historic expressions of faith while engaging God with our whole being in the world today. For more information on New Life Church, you can visit our website at newlifechurch.org. In 1988, a man named William Post, he was known to his friends as Bud, and Bud, in 1988, won the Pennsylvania Lottery, and it was $16.2 million. $16.2 million. Bud now lives on Social Security, makes about $450 a month, and food stamps. How did that happen? Well, he says now, I wish it had never happened. It was a total nightmare. First of all, a a former girlfriend successfully sued him for a share of his winnings. Uh, Next, a brother was arrested for hiring a hitman to kill him. That's not good to have a brother like that. Hoping to inherit a share of the winnings. Other siblings pestered him until he agreed to invest in a car business and a restaurant in Sarasota, Florida. Ventures which brought no money and further strained his relationship. Post even spent time in jail for firing a gun over the head of a bill collector. Within a year, he was a million dollars in debt. How did that happen? Wins the lottery, $16.2 million lottery at that. It's not not a small prize winning. Bring these lights just a bit up. Um, And all of a sudden, he's broke. He's, you know, he's got people suing him, and he's a million dollars in debt. And and it makes me think, there are things that we think of that we think, you know what, if that would only happen to me, if, that would, if I just had that, then man, everything's going to be better. And if this would just work out, then oh, I know that all my problems would be solved. And I know you're thinking, yeah, but I, I see, I would be different if that happened to me. Now, I mean, like, I, I, I don't have a brother who would hire a hitman, you know, like, I, that, that wouldn't be my story. You, know? and you think that now, but do you know? No, I'm just messing. But there is this sense in which sometimes you think, News or, or good news can be overwhelming, so overwhelming, in fact, that it destroys you, that it leads to your destruction. And maybe even more than bad news, sometimes the thing that you've hoped for or secretly wished for, when it actually happens, you can feel like, whoa, that's too much. And I don't know if you felt this way in, in talking about the book of Ephesians, because these first three chapters, you know, we've sort of, we've gone through Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, and portions of Ephesians 3, and tonight we're going to finish up Ephesians 3, but there's portions of it where we've talked about, okay, wait a second, look, Messiah's plan, God's plan is to sum everything up in the Messiah, is to put all things in heaven and on earth, to bring them together in Him, and we've talked about this thing about our hope and our inheritance and His love and all this stuff, and it kind of feels like, whoa, massive. And usually when you have news that is just too massive, you kind of have, you kind of go one or two ways. Either you say, you know what, that's just too big of a figure, 16.2 million. That's just too big of an amount. That's just too big of, a, of, of news. I, I don't know what to do with it, so I'm just sort of going to pretend that that didn't happen. And again, you're thinking, no, if it was $16.2 million, that I, should, I would not pretend that that didn't happen. Okay. But, but there's a, there's, there are situations where you think, oh, that's just overwhelming. That just sounds too massive. And okay, I can kind of get the, the sense that that's good news, that this is our hope and this is our inheritance and we're heirs with Christ and all this stuff. But it just feels a bit co- too cosmic and too massive. And so let's just set it aside. We'll kind of leave it there. Or you could say, you know what? 
I bet that this means that now I can do this and I can do this. And if I've got this power living in me and if it's the same power that raised Christ, then maybe I can spend it this way. And you sort of misuse that and end up bankrupt. In other words, when you're overwhelmed with good news, you either ignore it and lead to boredom or you kind of misuse it and it leads to a kind of bankruptcy. And in a way, people do that with faith. Where it's like, well, this is such good news, God's love, and this is so overwhelming, and His grace, and this is so wonderful. And either we say, okay, that thing about God's love and God's grace, that's just, that's too much to handle. I don't really get it. I just got to go to work tomorrow, and I know that I got to pay the bills, and so this is what I need to focus on, and all that stuff. That's just high flute and church talk. I don't know what to do with it. Or we say, oh, does that mean that I can use this power to all of a sudden get promotions and like sort of claim stuff and command stuff? And, you know, does this mean that I can kind of make life work out the way I want it? And is this like the thing that we see TV preachers tell us that you can claim Lexuses and jet planes? I mean, is that what this power and this good news is for? Well, if you've tried that, chances are you've gone a little bit down the road of bankrupting your faith and you've realized, what do you say, it doesn't quite work this way. What's the point of knowing the massiveness of God's plan if it all rests on you to figure out what to do with it? What's the point of knowing this cosmic plan of salvation that Paul has laid out for us in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2? What's the point of knowing all that if if the, 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 the conclusion is, okay, now that you've got that, now that you know that God plans to rescue His good world and to set everything right, go with that. If that was the, our conclusion, and that was sort of our application point, you'd sort of say, well, I, I don't know what to do with that. And so you'd, you'd probably say, well, I guess I'll just go back to work, you know, just kind of do my thing. Or you'd say, all right, God, well, then make things work out for me. Set things in my life right, right now. Make it all happen. And neither approach is quite right. What Paul is trying to tell us in the way that he wraps up Ephesians 3 is, look, There is this massive story of salvation, and it is good news, and it's not random. And in fact, the the opening bits of chapter 3, Paul's saying, okay, look, here's God's secret plan, which is what he means when he says mystery. Here's God's secret plan. It's to bring together Jews and Gentiles, one new people, and all this stuff. And he's saying that, and he's almost hearing us whisper back to him, yeah, but how? But how's that going to happen? Is that up to me? Is it up to me to sort of carry out this massive plan? Is it up to me to make this happen? And Paul wants us to know, in the way that he wraps up his prayer and wraps up Ephesians 3, that listen, everything I've just told you about, this massive rescue plan that is already underway, it doesn't rest on you, but it rests on the one who is able. And so let's read this text together. Ephesians 3, verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God's power will carry out God's plan. That it doesn't rest on you or me. And to say, okay, well, thanks God for telling me this plan. Is this sort of like, are you... Are you coming to me like a small business owner with a proposal and you think I'm the investor? You know, I mean, sometimes we, we sort of act that way that God's kind of said, hey, look, I've got this plan. I kind of want to rescue all creation. I kind of want to set things right. I kind of want to save the whole world. 
what do you think? Will you invest in my, my small business operation? And we're kind of like, me? I've got news for you. He's not coming hoping that you'll invest in his small business plan. That God has all the power it takes to carry out his plan. That not only does God have a plan to set things right, not only does God have a plan to restore the world, not only does he have this vision of new creation and this plan to do it, he also has the power to do it. Now to him who is able, Paul says, God's power will carry out God's plan. God's cosmic saving plan, God's secret plan to to bring together men and women from every tribe and tongue. How is that going to happen? Is it because we've got the right evangelism program? Is it because we've got... It's going to happen because he's the one who is able. And he continues in this phrase, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Think for a moment of all the things that Paul has already asked for. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 are full of prayers, you know. They're full of him asking the Lord for stuff. And here's a short list of some of the things Paul has already asked for. Ephesians 1, 18, he, he's asked that the eyes of our heart would be opened. He's asked that we would know our hope and our inheritance. He's asked that we'd be strengthened in our inner being. He's asked that Christ would dwell in our hearts. He's asked that we'd be rooted and grounded in love. He's asked that we would grasp the love of God. He's asked that we'd be filled with all the fullness of God. Now that's some pretty big asks. Those are some pretty big requests. That's more than, God, could you give me a parking spot tonight? You know, like, this is like Paul saying, I'm asking that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. And then he says, now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask. So he's just asked for some pretty remarkable things that we'd be filled, that we'd know Christ, that we'd understand his love, that all of the stuff. And then he's saying, but I just want you to know that I'm asking those things because I know God's more than able to do it. And I don't know where you are in in your journey and in your relationship with the Lord and in your walk, but as we've talked over the last couple of weeks, some of these things may seem like, yeah, that's not me. Or, I don't see how I can ever get there. I, I, I don't see how this is going to be true of me. And you talk about the, the love of Christ. And I, I mean, I kind of get it kind of here. But I'm not sure I'm ever going to really grasp it. I, I'm not sure I can know the unknowable, as Paul said just a few verses earlier. I'm, you know, and the temptation when you hear these things is to say, okay, those are fine things to ask if you're like super Christian, you know. Like the kind that they'll make action heroes after, you know, when when you're gone. Those are fine requests. Those are fine prayers if you're extraordinary. But if you're me and if you're messed up or have a past or this, it's like, uh, I don't know that this, how, how's that really going to come to pass? It's going to happen because he's able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask. And then this next phrase, imagine. It's an interesting word, and, and, and the reason I picked Isaiah 55 as our Old Testament reading tonight is because of that phrase at the end of it where he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And, my, you know. and I, if you've grown up in church, which maybe some of you did, you've heard that, that verse being read as in, it's kind of a Christian way of saying, sit down and shut up, you know. Thus saith the Lord, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Enough out of you, you know. Like, oh, sorry, you know, my thoughts, you know. But when you read this chapter, you don't get the sense that that's what God is saying. In fact, it's quite the opposite. He starts out by saying, look, I made this 
promise to David. And he starts talking about his covenant with Israel. And then he, you remember the bit we heard in the Old Testament where he says, a nation that, that doesn't even know me, they're going to come to you. Nations beyond, in, in other words, Isaiah is seeing the day that God's people will not just be one nation, but it'll be people from all nations. And then he says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. For my ways are not your ways. This is an incredibly encouraging thing. It's not a sit down and be quiet. It's a, don't you see that what you thought was a small, itty-bitty, localized plan by the Sea of Galilee is really a plan for every nation. It's beyond what you imagine. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And then he carries on in that verse. We didn't read this part of it because I just wanted to read the whole chapter as the Old Testament reading, but that would have gotten too long. But in verse 13, he says, Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree, and instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. And these are all symbolic things. And then he says, And this will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign. In other words, Isaiah is saying, Look, look, look. This plan is much bigger than rescuing Israel. This plan is about rescuing all things. It's my thoughts are not your thoughts. My way, it's, it's, it's beyond that. And I'm going to do it for my renown. Hang on to that phrase. For my renown. Because Paul actually echoes that as this verse goes on. And we, a little foreshadowing there. But the thing we, we got to sort of catch right away is, okay, so God's power will carry out God's plan and, and, and now to Him who is able. The thing to, to, to hang on to here is that God's ability to act exceeds or goes beyond our capacity to ask. Even beyond what we know to ask. I wouldn't even, even have thought, God, to ask for you to do that. But now I see that, that you're, that was your plan all along. That's what He's saying. His ability to act and to do and to give and to save is even beyond our capacity to ask. That's good news. The second kind of big idea out of this verse is that God's power is at work in His people for His glory. Paul goes on in this verse, Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to... So we we got the what... Now we're trying to figure out how, according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now there are lots of different doxologies, blessing prayers in the New Testament of bless God, hymns of worship sections. This is the only doxology that includes this phrase, to Him be the glory in the church. Almost every other, every other doxology says, to Him be the glory in Christ Jesus, which Paul has as well. But the part that's pe- peculiar is the in the church. And it makes sense because Ephesians is this letter that's so much about church and so much about church life. In the very next chapter, he talks about the fivefold ministry and all the stuff he's talking about church. So it makes sense. But here's the thing that maybe we didn't expect. That the way God's going to accomplish His plan is not with an army of angels, but with an army of you and me. With us. So that He can be glorified in the church. Now there's a lot of talk that's going on these days about church. Just about church is so messed up and church is this and church is that. And, and, uh, and I... I I, you know, it, it bothers me a little bit, and then I kind of get worked up and think, well, I, mean, I guess those, there are these problems and all this stuff, you know. And then I, but I, 
I sort of realize that what they're saying doesn't really matter as soon as they get to a phrase like this. We just need to get back to the church the way the church was in the New Testament. Have you ever heard people say that? Don't raise your hand in case they're next to you. You ever heard people say, yeah, the church, the, the modern American church. Oh, what a tragedy. What an awful, what an embarrassment. We just need to get back to the New Testament church. Well, which New Testament church should we get back to? The one in Corinth where the dude was sleeping with his dad's, you know, girlfriend? That one? Should we get back to the other, you know, the, the, the one in Ephesus? Where the, which New Testament church should we get back to? Because here's the thing. They were all messy. They had loads of problems. I mean, he had to tell one of them to stop dipping into the communion wine. Now, I know y'all ain't doing that because we don't have wine. Okay, but, but they had problems. They were messy. There's no ideal picture of the church. There's no such thing as saying, I just wish, you know, how could God be glorified? And I just, you know, we just need to sort of go back and meet in living rooms and all this stuff. Why? So you can meet with people that are just like you? So that you don't have to be challenged to love someone who you don't like? Is that the idea? Is that what God had in mind, my church? His power who is at work in us, to Him be the glory in the church. What a strange choice. Why would God choose to have his power at work in us? And if his power was at work in us, wouldn't it look more dazzling? You know, on the surface, this whole idea of church kind of seems like a failed project. Oh God, what were you thinking, you know? As if God's in heaven saying, oh, that was a mistake. To choose to work through a body of people that gather together. Woohoo! Michael, Gabriel, you guys want to take a stab at this, you know? And the church kind of seems on the surface like a failed project. Especially to people outside it, you know? You t- I, I had a co- I heard someone over, over um, or uh, say, that, or, or hear that I was a pastor at New Life. It's, oh, wasn't that the church that, you know, you know what they're saying. And it's just kind of this thing of like, from the outside looking in, it's like, what a joke. People get together, sing songs, and read some old book, and wow, you know. And it looks like this failed project. And I think that bothers us sometimes because we, we, kind, of, we kind of bristle against that. And we're like, well, no, no. And we almost want to sort of show off, you know, like the kid who, who, who's playing with like his older brothers and wants to show that he's cool too. And we but no, 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 at church, I mean, we've got cool videos, we've got cool music, and we, we're cool too, you know. But here's some good news for you. They all said that Jesus' ministry was a failed project too. They all thought that when the Messiah came and then was crucified by the Romans, they thought that was pretty miserable, a miserable failure too. In fact, in, in, in the community, the Qumran community that, that, that preserved what we have discovered recently of the Dead Sea Scrolls, there were writings in there that they, they expected that Messiah would kill the Romans, would defeat the Romans. Imagine then what they would have thought when Messiah was killed by the Romans. What a failure. Boo! Who's that guy? Twelve disciples? That's all you got after three years? That'll make some small group leaders feel pretty good, you know? It's like, all right, twelve. Three years, I got twelve. And one tried to kill me, you know? Hopefully not in your small group, that is, you know? 
Jesus' ministry seemed like a failed project too. I mean, why not have, have the Son of God come in the bigger, biggest cities? Herod had loads of amphitheaters that he built for his own glory. Why not have Jesus lecture in one of Herod's amphitheaters? Why by the Sea of Galilee with a bunch of fishermen? Don't you know that these people... To him be the glory in the church. To him be the glory in the church. See, what you may not get is that God's chosen for his power to work in us. God's work in us is beyond what we can see or perceive. It's beyond what we can see and what we can perceive. We're always looking for the stuff that we can see. I want to see God's power. I want to see all this. And here Paul is saying, look, look, look. He's going to do this now to him who is able according to his power that is at work. And I wonder if when this letter was first read that some folks in Ephesus were kind of scratching their heads. His power at work in us? Really? So here we find ourselves taking our place in this story. The verse concludes, right, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. Throughout all generations. So here's us, here's our generation, all of us that are alive, you know. Okay, it's our turn, here we are, you know. It's easy to forget the story that we're part of, hey? It's easy to forget the scenes that have come before and the scenes that are coming after and that that is what gives meaning to our scenes. Because we sort of think, well, if this is it, then it can't be very good. But what we need to do, what this doxology prayer does is it makes us see a little bit wider. It makes us see that God has been working through all generations. Through Israel first, and now because of Christ, it's opened up to all of us. That's his master plan. And then here's this thing that's coming, echoes of Ephesians 1, verse 10, where all things will be summed up in him. Okay, new heaven, new earth, we're going to rule and re- all the stuff that we can't fully... Okay, we, 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 but in the middle of that and this is you. In the middle of that... And this, in the middle of the Moses stuff and the Elijah stuff, in the middle of that and new creation glory is you and your cubicle, is me and a dirty diaper, is us and our ordinariness. What do we do with this? I think that a key part of this prayer is that it's meant to shape our imagination. Because God's power is never lacking, but our imagination often is. Our imagination often is. Now, what do I mean by imagination? Over the last uh, week and a half or so, my sister from Scotland is visiting, and, uh, and, and she came with her son. Her husband wasn't able to come. And, and so my nephew's four years old, and he's had a great time playing with our two girls, not really playing with our baby Jonas. Sometimes he tries, you know, Jonas does one of these, you know. But he's playing with our girls, and it's, it's amazing to hear the games that they come up, with, come up with, because we don't have a bunch of, you know, stuff or, or you know, electronic toys, whatever, but, but they're all of a sudden, like, a couch cushion is their boat, and they're rafting through the Pacific, you know, whatever, you know, I don't know, and all of a sudden, a blanket is like a dragon skin, you know, and they're doing all, and they're just running, and their imagination is active, okay, so that, that, we, we understand imagination in that sense, but what happens to us as we grow up, 
is we sort of associate that kind of imagination as, let's pretend. That's foolishness. That's just childish stuff, and we just need to get on with the real world, and the real world is full of disappointments, right? Last week, this past week, we tried to take a vacation with all of us. We went up to a mountain cabin, and um, we, you know, we, we walked in the doors, and it was this nice log cabin, and, and instantly, and I'm kind of a romantic at heart, so immediately my imagination is going, I'm like, oh, this is going to be so great. We're going to put the kids to bed, and then we're all going to sit down here in the living room and sip hot chocolate and you know, talk about wonderful memories, maybe play Scrabble, which I think is really fun, you know, you may not, but, but, you know, maybe, you know, and I've got all this stuff that I'm, I'm imagining what the night's going to be like. Well, we get back to the cabin, and 8 o'clock, we try to put Jonas down for bed, 9 o'clock, he's still screaming, 10 o'clock, our girls are crying, and there's a loft where all the kids are, and then Jonas is in one of the rooms downstairs, and Holly's, it's midnight, and he's been crying for four hours. And it's hot in there because they thought there's no need for air conditioning. So we had the windows open, but then the wind started blowing. And then we, you know, anyway, it's just... So the next morning we, we woke up and, and uh, when we finally fell asleep. And, and uh, we were supposed to stay two nights. The next morning we woke up and I said to Holly, I said, you want to go home today? She's like, please, <laughs> you know, get me out of here. And so we did. We had a great, you know, and, and uh, my sister was fine with it too, but... But you have this imagination, it's going to be this way, and then, you know, it just doesn't play out. Now, now that's obviously just a kind of a funny, lighthearted thing, but many of us have very serious disappointments, have gone through very serious letdowns. And disappointments shrink our imagination, don't they? The more disappointments you, you get, the less willing you are to imagine. I mean, for us, it's like... Even in this little story, it's like, we're not going to take a vacation for a while, you know, like, let's just, staying at home sounds pretty good right now, you know. So is the answer with this verse to say, oh, okay, I see what you're saying, Glenn, so, so even though I've been disappointed, I should just, the problem is that my dreams are too small, right? I, I need to have even bigger dreams and have God sort of make them happen. Well, no, because that's kind of like saying, oh, that vacation in the mountains didn't go well. Why didn't you take a two-week tour of Europe? <laughs> if it did, yeah. What we need is neither smaller imaginations nor larger imaginations. What we need is a prayer-shaped imagination. We need our imagination shaped by prayer. And that's why Paul spends so much of these first three chapters praying. I mean, I almost wondered, was he writing this? Or was like a scribe writing this? You know, Tychicus or whatever? And was Paul kind of off in the corner, you know, saying, oh, greetings, the church. Oh, to the Lord. And, he's, and the scribe's like, should, should, should I be writing this part down? You know? <laughs> okay, I'll write it. You know? and he writes out this prayer. But there's so much praying going on in these first three chapters. What's with that? Because prayer is what shapes our imagination. To recapture the sense of of, of seeing God at work, of imagining it, of recognizing it. What does that look like? I think it means believing that God really is at work, even though we can't see it. I think it means believing that His power that is at work in us really is at work in us, present tense. Well, I don't really see it. Well, maybe you need a little prayerful imagination. I love that phrase. That's a Eugene Peterson phrase, a prayerful imagination. Maybe we need a little bit of that. 
Not the fanciful, you know, where you're seeing demons under chairs. I, I, you know, that could be real in some cases. But, yeah. but, but the kind that's saying, okay, God, I know that you're working. I don't see it. Don't feel it. Looks pretty undramatic. But I believe that, that you are. And then we are as foolish as children who pretend that a blanket is a dragon's mouth or whatever. Except that ours is rooted in something true. Something true. Eugene Peterson, when he was pastoring, used to say that before he would drive to every, any appointment, he would say in his car, he would say, the risen Christ, the Christ is risen and he has gone ahead to meet me at, and he would name the address of the appointment that he was going to. You know, just a way of reminding him that he's not just meeting Joe and Susie to do premarital. He's meeting the living Christ at work in Joe and Susie. Now imagine that. Imagine that when you go home to your spouse, that you're not just saying, oh, okay, I'm, yeah, I'm going home to my spouse, and I bet she's going to ask me. Yeah. I'm going home to Christ at work in my wife tonight. I'm going home for, to Christ at work in my husband. I'm going to see Christ at work in this screaming eight-month-old baby who won't go to sleep tonight. Not sure how Christ is at work. <laughs> what if, with a prayer-shaped imagination, we kind of become like little detectives, looking for the clues, looking for the traces? Lord, what a beautiful sunrise this morning. Thank you for just a reminder of your faithfulness. Sun rises every morning. Thank you, Lord. Simple, right? Little, little clue, little trace of grace. What if you, you said, okay, okay, okay I'm, I'm going you know, to sit down and have coffee with this old friend, and we're gonna, I know we're going to catch up on life, and that's great. And, and as I'm hearing about their family and their kids, Lord, help me to... To just, just to pick up on what you're doing there. Just to, just to be a witness to that. You know the, the point of being the body of Christ together is so we can be witnesses to one another of Christ at work? That's what we're supposed to do. It, it, when I get together with James, and J, I, James is a witness to what Christ is doing in my life, and I'm a witness to what Christ is doing in his life. That's how God is glorified in the church. Plural. I think we think about this too individualistically, don't we? For the glory of God, I'm going to do this. And for the glory of God, I'm going to do this. And he's saying, yeah, cool, cool. But I will be glorified as you are witnesses to one another of my work in you. What if we could say, you know what, I just, you know, what a great thing when you've known someone for years and years to be able to say, you know what, you know, like think about Marty and Casey, you know, known you guys for so long, over a decade, and be able to say, you know what, I, I see the Lord doing that in you guys. Yeah, I, no, man, go serve Ross. Go Go be a blessing. To, you know, there's something that is glorifying to God in that. And it's simple, isn't it? But it requires a little bit of prayerful imagination. That word, imagine, that Paul used is also the same word that Jesus used when he was rebuking his disciples and said, Are you still so hard? Do you not understand? Do you not yet get it? When you, a couple different scenes, actually. In fact, one was right after he had fed the 4,000 and they were worried about dinner. And they said, oh, we think he's saying that we don't have anything to eat. And he's like, do you not understand? I just fed 4,000. You know, like, I can feed 12. I can handle 12. 
And that's the same, I wonder if that's the same thing. It's okay, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever, amen. I wonder if part of this point is to say to us, do you not get it yet? Do you not understand? Do you not see who our God is? Do you not realize that he is able? Do you not recognize that no situation is ever really, truly God-forsaken as long as you're there? Because when you're there, guess who's there too? God. Do you not perceive, do you not see that He is able? And I wonder tonight, as we're getting ready to close, if you're thinking about different situations, thinking about a marriage, thinking about a thing at work, or thinking about a relationship, or friendship, or an illness. You sort of, uh, you know, I just don't know if I can see anymore that God is at work. I'm not sure I believe, I, I don't know. Tonight, could we begin to Say, Lord, let this prayer, this doxology prayer, let this prayer shape my imagination again. I want to I picture it. I want to see you working in my marriage. I want to see you working at my workplace. I want to see you working in my family, in, in the kids that, I, that I, I don't know what's going on in their hearts. And, and they've kind of shut me out. And I, don't, I, I can't get in like I used to be able to get in when they were there. But, but, but God, I want to imagine, not a fanciful imagination, but a prayerful imagination. I want to imagine that you are at work in my son and my daughter. God, I, 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 here, here I am battling this, this illness, or I know this person who's dealing with cancer. You know, and I, and I, I don't know, God, what's going on, but I just want to have a prayer-shaped imagination that says, you're able. What if, what if, God, what if? heaven broke into earth and you did something. This prayer of Paul's is very much actually like the doxology that's added to the Lord's prayer. Yours is the kingdom. The massive saving plan in Ephesians 1 and 2 in the beginning part of 3. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power says and yours is the glory the kingdom the power the glory the plan the means the goal God's got it that his salvation that God's salvation is the plan that God's power is the means that God's glory is the goal can we believe tonight that that power is at work in us as the church, as his people? If you would stand tonight. How many of you tonight would say, you know what? I kind of am facing a situation that requires something beyond me. I am kind of facing something that is 
beyond my ability. Whether it's a thing in your marriage or which I guess marriage in general is beyond our ability. It does take the Holy Spirit. Maybe a thing at work or maybe a thing in your finances. Maybe a thing with, with a son or a daughter. You say, you know, I just, I don't know anymore. I, I, I am not at work. I, but God, I want this prayer to shape my imagination and this imagination to shape my prayer. To believe this. You're at work. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work in us. To him be the glory in us, the church, and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. If that's you, if you're saying, yeah, I, yeah, I, I am in a situation that I'm just beyond my ability and I need to call on the one who is able. Would you just kind of raise your hand right where you are? It's beyond my ability. I, I need the one who is able. Such a powerful confession to say, I'm powerless. It's beyond my ability. I need your ability. Keep your hands raised, would you? And then those around you, even if you're both raising your hands, just, just put a hand on each other's shoulder, you know? Just pray for them. And Todd, if you'd put that verse back up, we're going to say this as our prayer. Ephesians 3, 20 to 21. Repeat these after me. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so God, we pray for Your intervention. We thank You that the massive plan of salvation rests on Your power. But God, we know that You love breaking in. We know that you love letting that future break into the present. We know what's coming, and we know what's coming is better than what is. But we're asking tonight, in the name of Jesus, that that would even begin to break in here and now. Let it break in through a healing miracle. Let it break in through the rescue of a prodigal child. Let it break in through the healing of the restoration of a marriage. Let it break in Let it break in. Let your kingdom come on earth. Even now. Even now. God, shape our imagination by this prayer. Help us to begin to see, to begin to picture, to begin to imagine you at work in our hearts. Even beyond what we see as the external evidence. Help us to imagine you at work in our families, in our workplaces. And help us to be witnesses to one another, to speak words of life and encouragement as we see things, as we see you at work. Help us to say it. Man, I just see the Lord at work in you. Man, I just see God doing this. Lord, let it be. In Jesus' name.
Take the hand of the person next to you tonight. I hope, sorry, there's a lot of, you know, hugging and huddling and holding hands. I hope you're not scared of that. Everybody use sanitizer before coming in. Don't worry. (laughs) We saved the Lord's Prayer tonight, which we normally do earlier. We saved it for the end so that we can say this together. Our Father, right? Your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. And end with a doxology very similar to what we've just read. Let's pray this together and this will be our close. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. Here we go. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. Let's thank God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We believe it, Lord. Amen. But God bless you. May your prayers shape your imaginations.